Well, good evening again. All month long, we have been looking at the four songs that uh, Luke records in the first two chapters of, uh, of his work, his biography on Jesus' life. Now, these songs, they weren't really sung. But they were written kind of like the Psalms. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you read the Psalms. It's like they, sometimes they sang them or really they more like chanted them. Um, and so these songs were just kind of things that uh, came out of four different people leading up to the birth of, of Jesus. And even Simeon, which we talked about last week, came after the birth of of Jesus, um, and and they just they really carry some significant information, uh, and and really uh, a, just a beautiful story as they kind of fill out the birth of Jesus. Now they're all kind of similar. They all start with the person praising God, and then they all kind of reference um, what we'll call this great reversal that happens when Jesus comes. When God kind of interrupts nature and he interrupts the natural course of things and he sends his son Jesus to Mary to be born uh, of, of this virgin girl and be a baby and it was just completely backwards from what everybody thought was going to happen when Messiah came. And so it was just this great reversal that God had planned for humanity. Let me explain a little bit from the stories that we have been looking at. Um, Gabriel goes to see Mary. And uh, after he talks to Mary, he tells Mary that uh, her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. Elizabeth is this old lady. And so Mary goes to see her cousin uh, Elizabeth and spends some time with her. Spend about three months with her. Now, when Mary gets to Elizabeth's house, there's this really intense exchange that happens between Mary and, and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth begins to bless and honor Mary. Now, Elizabeth is this very old lady at this point who's married to a high priest who works in the temple of God in Jerusalem. So she's a very sophisticated woman, uh, probably a little more wealthy, um, well-to-do family. Um, you just think of somebody who's just always put together, you know, always has the right thing to say at the right time. And then you have Mary, who probably is maybe around 13 years old. She's just found out she's pregnant. She knows what that means because she's not married. And so this is going to be a very, very difficult time for her. And so she comes to Elizabeth for some encouragement. And when she walks in the room, Elizabeth begins to honor and, and bless her a complete reversal from Jewish uh, social etiquette of the day. Mary, the young girl, should have been the one blessing and honoring Elizabeth, but instead Elizabeth honors and blesses Mary. And then Mary takes this blessing and honor, these things, these wonderful things that Elizabeth has said to her and about her, and she turns those away from herself and she begins to honor God in her song. Now, in the culture of the day, Mary, this young Jewish girl, she had no political power. She couldn't vote. She couldn't own property. It was a very difficult time. She had 
no power in the Jewish home. So uh, the male in the home, the oldest male in the home was the one who kind of controlled everything. And so she really had no power in the home either. She had no worth in the culture of her day outside of her ability to cook and, and make babies. It really were the two things that were primary, primary function in the Jewish home. And so in her reality, her day-to-day life, she is a nobody. But God's great reversal says something different. In fact, in her song, she says, all generations will call me blessed. And now this is not, I wish I was, what did the Fonz do? I don't remember what he did. Anyway, I can't do it. Uh, anyway, there's uh, something. Is there something there, Julie? It should be a scripture verse that says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Maybe not. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to real life. Uh, if you haven't been here before, this is the way it goes. This is what happens. This is real nice. Uh, okay, so um, in Luke chapter 1, Mary Uh, gives this song, and in her song, she says, from a nobody, she says, all generations will call me, call me blessed. We then jump to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. Zechariah is a high priest. He works in the temple. He has a very important job. He's a very important person. He and Elizabeth have been married for a very long time. They have prayed and prayed and prayed for a child, and no child uh, came. So they are very aged at this point. They're well past the age of of having or birthing um, babies. Um, In fact, they had gotten to a point in their life that all all of us, if you've struggled with infertility, you know there comes a point when you're like, okay, this must not, this isn't going to happen. And so they prayed for a long time. Then they realized we're past the age, it can't happen, and they stopped praying. They gave up on their dream of having a child. And then... As Zechariah is serving in the temple, an angel appears and tells him, Elizabeth, your wife, is going to conceive. She's going to have a son, and this son is going to usher in the promised Messiah. So he's going to be the Elijah, the prophesied Elijah who is to come before Messiah comes. A very important role. And so in Zechariah's song, the upside down kingdom theme is continued and developed further. This elderly couple goes from being um, pitied by their family and friends. Everybody who knew them in that culture uh, of the day, if you didn't have children, you had nobody to carry on your name, you had nobody to help you in your old age, uh, old parents would move in with their children and they would be provided for in their old age. Zechariah and Elizabeth did not have that. And so um, they're pitied by their friends and family. um, And they go from this state where they they had um, in the society, they had a lot like because he's a priest. and, And so they had a lot of things, but they were missing this child piece. And it kind of it kind of put them um, as second tier citizens. And then the angel comes and he talks to Zechariah and he says, your your wife is going to have a child and not just a child, but this child is going to usher in the promised Messiah. He's going to be the herald for God's king. And so they go from this place where they're kind of on the outs to finding themselves smack dab in the middle of the most incredible story ever written or told. Their role completely reversed in society. 
Then we jump to the song of this guy, Simeon. He's another old guy like Zechariah, except we know almost nothing about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what he did in, in his life. The only things we're told about him was that he was righteous and devout as a Jewish person. And that because of that, God sent his Holy Spirit to him to tell him that he would not die until he saw the promised Messiah. Now that probably happened years before Simeon actually sees Jesus. He's been waiting for a long time, a very long time, to see this promised um, Messiah. And so like Mary, Simeon is kind of a nobody because we don't really know anything about him. He didn't hold a position of power or influence like Zechariah. All we know is that he was righteous and devout and that God made him this promise. But what is interesting to me about Simeon is that he surely believed, like pretty much every Jewish person of his day, that when the Messiah comes, he would come as a conquering king. He would come as a, as a strong man on a white horse and he's gonna ride into town. He's gonna overthrow the Romans who were occupying Israel at the time. He's gonna reinstitute uh, worship in the temple. Everything is gonna be the way it should be and Israel will begin to be the pinnacle nation of the entire world. That's what the Jewish people believed Messiah was going to do. And so what's really interesting about Simeon is that he comes in to see the Messiah and instead of a king on a white stallion, he sees a helpless baby carried in the arms of his mother. Yet Simeon doesn't question, is this really the Messiah? He just accepts that this child is going to be the one to bring about salvation. And he continues to talk about this great reversal that Jesus is going to bring, saying that the child is destined to cause the rise and the fall of many. Now, the birth of Jesus wasn't just about the fulfillment of over 300 years or 300 Old Testament prophecies going back thousands of years. It wasn't just about the, the hope of freedom for the Jewish people uh, as they're trying to get out from underneath the thumb of the Romans. It wasn't just about Israel's sovereignty. The birth of Jesus ushered in a whole new way of life, not just for Israel, but for all people everywhere. See, Jesus opened the door to a whole new way of life. He opened the door to the possibility for a future that no one could have imagined at the time. A future where Jew and Gentile, where man and woman, where elderly and children, slave and free, had equal access to God and the equal hope of salvation in him. And so the story of Jesus' birth is the place where all the promises of the past and all the, woohoo! Thank you. Good job, Julie. I don't know what you did, but good job. The story of Jesus' birth is a place where all the promises of the past and all the possibilities of the future intersect. 
And this is seen, I think, most vividly in the song that the angels sing on the night of Jesus' birth. So we're going to jump in to this uh, 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 final song that we're going to look at tonight. And so Jesus has um, either already been born or Mary is in active labor when the angel appears to the shepherd in Luke chapter 2. And so here's what it says in that. The same region near Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. This was a standard thing. Uh, shepherds had to protect their, their sheep even at night, and especially if they took them out of the pen and they were letting them graze, uh, they would have to do that. Now, this was probably also, uh, the, the, they were probably also out in the field at night because um, Jesus' birth happens around a festival for the Jewish people. And so lots of people would have come into Jerusalem. They'd have packed into the city. And so there would have been a lot of sheep there because sheep were used in the sacrifices in the temple. So the, the shepherds are out in the field watching over the flocks and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. You've heard that story probably many times. Many believe that the sheep that were kept outside of Bethlehem were destined to be used in temple sacrifices. So it's a little, uh, it's a little gross and gory, and we've got a lot of kids in here, so I'll try to be careful. Um, but in Jewish culture, in the worship of the temple, if you committed a sin and you became ritually impure, in order to become pure, you had to offer a sacrifice, and the blood of that animal sacrifice would pay the price for your sin. And so a Jewish man would come in with his family during one of these feasts and people would pack into the city and there'd be all of these sheep, these young lambs that had to be a year old and they had to be perfect. They couldn't have spot or blemish. And the Jewish man would take that lamb and would put his hand on the head of the lamb and would symbolically transfer his sin and the sin of his family onto that little uh, helpless lamb. And then that lamb would be killed, ritually slaughtered, to pay the price for the sin of that family until they sinned again. And then guess what they had to do? They had to go back to the temple they had to sacrifice again. So it was a really difficult, um, crazy situation going on. So the ancient um, Jewish historian Josephus, he estimated that the number of lambs that it would take uh, during a time like Passover, like what was happening at the time Jesus was born, the number of lambs it would take is somewhere between 100,000 and 250,000 lambs um, that would be slaughtered during this time uh, in the temple. Each and every one of those lambs, when it was born, was swaddled in a cloth, a swaddling cloth. The shepherd would take very good care of it, and they would place them in um, mangers, some people believe, all wrapped up so that they would remain perfect and unblemished so that they could be used in temple sacrifice. Um, so there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of things happening here. Shepherds were an integral part of the worship of God at this point in history. In fact, um, they were incredibly needed because they needed these sheep, uh, these lambs for the sacrifice, and the shepherds were the ones that took care of them. However, shepherds were very integral to Jewish life, but they had been banned 
from most interaction in Jewish life. A part of that stemmed from the fact that a shepherd worked outside. They worked with animals, and so they were around uh, messes all the time. They were around death, and they were around blood. Now, all of those things made a person ritually impure. And so shepherds were often ostracized from Jewish life, even though their service was needed because of their ritual impurity. Um, So, the men who kept the lambs pure and clean for temple sacrifice were themselves impure and unclean for worship. Shepherds were considered actually the lowest social class of people who could still interact with others. The only people lower, some believe at this point in, in Jewish social life, were lepers. People had skin disorders and diseases and actually had to shout out unclean if anybody came close to them. So they couldn't have gone to Uh, into Bethlehem to see Jesus or Mary and Joseph because of their disease. And so the shepherds were like one uh, half step up from that. Um, And so uh, here we're out in the cold evening tending sheep for people who couldn't um, tolerate them. And then an angel appeared to them. And we're told that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it was like the light of the sun in the form of a man in a dark field. Now, um, it looks dark to me out there where you're all sitting. uh, But it's difficult to get into a place where it's really dark around town, right? Like if you live in El Dorado, anywhere around El Dorado, the lights from the refinery at night make it light. It's never really dark when you live in town. But if you go out in the fields somewhere, out far away from any city or any home or any light post, you begin to get a sense of the darkness that exists when you're out away from civilization and away from light. Imagine living in the first century here and they don't have light at all, no electricity, nothing but a lamp, and the shepherds are out on the hillside. It is dark, 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 dark. They've got a fire there going just to keep warm and keep the chill off a little bit, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of that deep darkness, this man appears, and he's glowing like the sun. It's crazy. Here's what happens. Suddenly, there, oh, Where are we at? Here we are. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord. Remember, Christ means king. He's king. He's the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped up like one of your sheep and lying in a manger. Now, the angel gives this incredible news. God is going to do something new, and the whole world, the whole world would come to see it as good news, and it would inspire great joy within people. Now, this does not mean that everybody was happy, because we know everybody was not happy about the birth of Jesus. But those who are happy, those who were able to receive this good news, also discovered this great joy. And so this incredible news that the angel brings is that the promised Messiah has been 
born. Again, I told you, what did they think? They thought Messiah was going to come as a conquering king, a strong man who's going to drive out the Romans. And so the fact that he comes as a baby is a complete and total shock to them because all Jews were waiting for this conqueror king to come, to lead a rebellion against the Romans, to overthrow them, to kick them out of Israel, and to watch Israel then become the greatest nation in the world. Instead, they're told that Messiah is a helpless baby. A helpless baby that they would find wrapped up in swaddling clothes, much like the shepherds would wrap the lambs and lay them in a manger to keep them from being injured so that they could be used in temple sacrifice. Now the angel calls this good news, but the shepherds receive it as confusing news. And then more angels uh, appear. And here's the song. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that's the song. Verse 14 is the song of the angels. It is much, much shorter than all the songs that we've looked at in this series. But before we get to that, I want to talk about something else. The multitude that joins the angels are referred to as the heavenly host. And when you do a little word search in the Bible for the Greek word, the Aramaic word host, you find that the word host is used in a few very particular and interesting places in the rest of the Bible. The word host is used to describe the host that encircles the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4. So if you uh, go to Revelation, we did a series in Revelation earlier this year, and we looked at this uh, Revelation uh, picture of the host around the throne room or in the throne room of God. God's throne is high and lifted up, and you never really get a good picture of him because there's lightning and cloud and sunlight and all this crazy stuff. But we are told about the angels and the beasts and the people and the elders that surround the throne of God. There's four beasts that just are these fantastic creatures. And then there's 24 elders that encircle the throne. And then there's multitudes of angels and people who are around the throne and outside of this circle of the 24 elders, praising God and glorifying him continually. And so this word host is used of Revelation 4 and it's also used in other places in the Bible to talk about these visions that people have of the throne room of God. Now the host that has come to announce the birth of God's son, the savior, the promised Messiah, the king of kings, may have been the very angels and the beasts and the elders that surround the very throne of God continually. And so those who are constantly in the presence of God announce that the presence of God has now come to dwell with mankind. I think that's a pretty incredible moment. It's not just these angels that have come. It's maybe the angels that stand in the presence of God and they've come to the shepherds to say, hey, God has now made his home among man. 
That's a crazy moment. The throne room of God has come to this hillside outside of Bethlehem, and these shepherds are hearing this announcement from the very people who sing around the throne of God. Those constantly in the presence of God are announcing the presence of God with humanity. As you can imagine, this angelic host, thousands upon thousands, they do two things with their song. The first thing that happens in their song is that they point to God and they offer glory to God in the highest, meaning the most high God, the God who doesn't dwell in houses made by men. He's done something that is too incredible to fully comprehend. He's made his dwelling with his creation. That's crazy. Nobody would have thought that. Nobody saw that coming. It's why Jesus is called Emmanuel. It means God with us. And God has finally come to humanity. And so God's plan and God's purpose and God's promise has come to God's people. Finally, after thousands and thousands of years of promises and, and, and people saying, hey, it's coming, the Messiah is coming, it's finally arrived and the angels in the throne room of God have announced the birth of his son to these shepherds. The second thing that their song does is it talks about peace. Now, peace was an elusive thing um, for the shepherds, certainly, and for all of Jews in that um, time. This peace, the angels say, is going to be available to all mankind. Glory to God in the highest, whose plan and whose promise through Jesus brings peace to God's people. So the Israelites have been living under Roman occupation. The Romans called it Pax Romano, Pax Romano. Pax Romano means the peace of Rome. And so when Rome would come and they would conquer a nation, they would establish Pax Romano. And that's how they would talk about their occupation of these other nations as peace. The peace of Rome has come to your nation. You don't need to worry about anything anymore because we're going to take care of stuff. The problem with the peace of Rome was that the peace of Rome came at the violent and vicious aggression of the Roman Empire. So there was peace because everybody was too afraid to fight back. There was peace, but it was fake peace. There was peace, but there was also oppression, and there was injustice, and there was silence, and the Romans would cancel you, like kill you, if you spoke out against them. And so it was this manufactured peace that they tried to push on everybody. Hey, the Romans have come, and they've brought peace, except they brought peace with great fear. So the rest of the uh, story from the angels is about this peace that this child is going to bring. It's good news. It comes from God the Most High. And the peace that this child is going to bring is not the peace of Rome. It's this peace that comes from God. The Bible talks about like peace that passes understanding. Meaning, I don't know why in this moment when I should be freaking out, when I should be falling apart, when life is just too much to bear, yet I have this peace within me. That's the kind of peace the angels are announcing. 
And you probably know the rest of the Christmas story. The shepherds decide to go into Bethlehem to, to make sure that what the angels have said is actually true. And they find Mary and Joseph and, and King Jesus lying there, just as the angels had said. And so the events of Jesus' birth are not just about the details of the birth of Jesus. They're really about the story of Jesus. Everything about the birth of Jesus was completely backward. It was upside down from what everybody else expected, what all the Jews expected. But we have to remember one important part of the story. Almost every person mentioned in the birth story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is flawed. There's a reason to reject all of them, except maybe Simeon. Simeon's the only guy. We don't really know much about him except he was righteous and devout. This is pretty good. But Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the shepherds for sure, they all were flawed and failed and faltering people. And yet God announces the birth of his son to these people. If the birth of Jesus was announced first to the outcast shepherds, the most important good news in the history of the world, that would bring the kind of peace that sets your heart at ease in the most difficult of times. If the shepherds, the shepherds who needed that peace desperately were the first to hear about it from the angels in the throne room of God, then there is no one too dirty. There is no one too sinful. There was no one too outcast or too far removed from society to join Jesus' kingdom. And so this birth, this announcement, this child, the reason for the season, it's not just about that. It's the reason that news from the angel that the angels bring is good. It's why they call it good news. Because no one is too too far outside to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be perfect. 